Gaming NBS episode 228, being recorded Sunday, February 3rd, 2019. For joining us, Gaming and BS, a tabletop RPG podcast. I'm Sean. And I'm Brett. Welcome to the show, folks. Welcome back. Glad to have everybody here. How you doing, man? Doing fantastic, Brett. How are you doing? Pretty good. I was uh my backyard's a small swamp now because it went from like negative thirty degrees to forty <laughs> in the span of two days. I wore a sweatshirt today, man. It was crazy. Yeah. I went to the gym and I'm like, oh, I don't need this winter coat. I don't need these winter boots. I just, I could use a raincoat practically because it was a damn everything's just dripping and ugh. I know what uh. London. I know what London fog looks like. <laughs> yeah, I think I do. It is anyway. thick. It is <laughs> thick out there. My dogs last week were like, oh, it's too fucking cold. I don't want to go outside. And I'm like, oh, look, it's water. I could roll around in that. So I've got you know muddy dogs. But what are you gonna so- do? So for those of you that may not be in the Midwest, specifically Wisconsin, we are indoctrinating you into the fold because this is a ritual, um, talking about the weather. Yes. Well, it's, I believe this happens just about everywhere. It's The weather is a thing that you're going to talk about all the time. I mean, my uh, my wife, a number of my in-laws are from Nebraska. You talk to the folks from Nebraska, and you will talk about weather and corn. That's just how that goes. Oh. You know. I suppose. And when, everybody's weather is worse than everybody else's. Of course. Yeah. If you talk to someone from Wisconsin, well, you don't like our weather. Just wait a minute. Someone from Michigan will say, hey, we had that. No, no. Yours isn't. It, it just goes up and down. But it's been it's been crazy. Yeah. Uh, it's other, been nuts. Yeah. Other than that, let's see. Nothing getting broke. Nothing horrible happened. Your dog didn't try to drown you or anything recently? No. Uh, dog is uh is just fine he's he has some aversion to snow so during the cold polar vortex getting him to poop outside was like hey man you're going on like 18 hours here buddy <laughs> he's like i can hold it i'm fine i'm fine it'll get warm it'll get warm tomorrow you're not gonna get warm tomorrow you're not gonna feel good in like another 12 you're going outside Phil. and he would pick the Freaking craziest ass place in the world. Yeah, that's dogs for you, man. Oh God. Oh well. Right there you go. Well, Small let's do talk. let's do announcements. We're done with that crap. So let's see. We're still doing awesomedice.com. Yeah. <laughs> who won? Who won? I want to know who won. The Bruce Cunnington. Bruce won. Cunnington won. Bruce Cunnington won. That is awesome. Yeah, for the month of January 2019, Bruce is entitled to a set of free dice from awesomedice.com. Oh, they know Bruce is in the UK, right? Do they? They actually would deliver to and I mentioned this before well, quite some time ago, but they they deliver um they only ship outside of the U.S. to Canada, Europe, Australia, and New Zealand. Wow! So I would imagine that Bruce falls still with still within Europe, kinda. Kind of because the Brexit thing. <laughs> and, now, and now we just made a bunch of Englanders mad at us. That's great. Oh, I'm sorry. So oh, too soon? 
Maybe. Who knows? <laughs> Not soon uh, enough. I don't know. I don't know. Oh, hey, let's get into somebody else's politics. <laughs> oh, my God. I was going to say, first with the weather, now let's just go into the fucked up political climate we all live in. Anyway, okay. So, but, but having said that, Bruce will be at GaryCon, so he's running an event at GaryCon, so we can certainly deliver it there, or they can ship it there. So I'll reach out to Bruce, make sure we get his okay to pass along. And if you wonder how Bruce won... You sign up at GamingNBS.com to our newsletter, your first name, email address, and you're automatically entered to win. We're going to give probably two or three more sets out. One will be at the end of February, which is a shorter month. You can also take advantage of AwesomeDice.com by going and buying dice on their website. And any order over 10 bucks, use promo code GAMINGBS, just GAMINGBS, and you get 15% off your order. Very nice. Yes. Cool, cool. So thanks to Brandon for offering that. So let's see a um, couple of different convention pieces. One, GameholeCon, if you're interested in coming to that next, uh, this coming uh, November, or I should say late October because it's happening on Halloween this late year. Late October 2019. Yeah. Yes. So uh, first off, check out GameholeCon.com so you can find out dates, times, all that good stuff. But number primary to that even is if you are thinking of coming, um, their housing has opened up today. So... Hotels are filling up fast in the, like, right on top of that area. That said, there's plenty of, um, Madison's not that big of a town. So if you end up on the other end of town or you end up a little bit farther away, parking at the um, Land Energy Center is not bad. Yeah, sure. It's free. It's, it's free. First off, it's free for it's parking. Free. Two, yeah, it's a little bit chilly, but you're outside for about that long and you're in the convention center. You don't have to leave till it's time to go back to your hotel. So it's a, it's a, uh, anyway. In October, it's it's so early in the year, uh, or early er. Usually, it's the first weekend of November mm-hmm. or second weekend. But they moved it because of the they have to do it around certain Madison events, specifically around the UW football schedule. We'll so talk about the inability to get hotel rooms and places yeah. to stay. My God, everything just locks up. Yeah, and um, shoot, but October in Madison, it's. Kind of a crapshoot. It's kind of going to be warm. It's going to be really usually unseasonably warm or unseasonably cold. It's never seasonably. <laughs> which, yeah, which is interesting because <laughs> I've heard that a while. I remember saying to somebody a number of years ago, "What the hell would seasonable be then?" Well, it should be. When's the last time we had that? I don't ever remember that. Yeah. So anyway, the housing is open for Gamehole. Go to GameholeCon dot com and you can see that stuff. Uh, GaryCon is happening. Sean and I will both be there. Um, we've got Gatsby and the Great Race going on again, don't they? Corey Welch wanted to spread the word on Saturday, March 9th from 2 p.m. to 8 p.m. They want to get ideally five tables going, and one of our buddies, Forrest Gary, is going to be running one of those tables. He's a big Cthulhu nut. And Forrest told me at GameholeCon when I asked him about it because he, he uh, it was running at GameholeCon. We talked about it for last year's GameHole, and I said, Forrest, you seem like you're a big fan. He said, Brett is the best role-playing experience I've ever had. He said, yeah. awesome. This partic- uh, this specific event. Yes. I yeah. bumped into a number of different folks. I well, didn't bump into them. I sought them out who played at GameholeCon, and they're like, it's fucking awesome. So so, so, so who's got two thumbs and that's going to be in that game? Is that you, Sean? This guy. Awesome. Yeah, I'm registered. Corey Welch and Forrest, if you're out there. Perfect. I'll be, I'll be at one of those tables on Saturday. All right, be prepared to go insane. Er, in the membrane. Yeah. Right. Anything else? Insane in the brain. Um, no, I think 
I think that's it. I don't think there's anything else. Let's get in a random. Let's get in a random encounter. Let's see if the random encounters uh, forestall the <laughs> topic again. Let's see what happens. Random encounter. So we're starting off with a voicemail from none other than I think we could honestly at this point. Well, I don't know. Chris Shorb and him might be, you know, because Chris Shorb's. Oh yeah, he's going to say in. who's voicemail king or queen for oh, yeah. gaming, gaming and BS. But this is what he DM Kojo right uh, calls this in the voicemail corner. Yes. Hey guys, it's Kojo. Hope you survived the snowpocalypse. Um, we had four days off in a row from school here in Michigan, so I had a second winter break as a teacher. That was nice. Got to do some games with my kids. Not role-playing, but uh, plenty of risk, access and allies, settlers of Catan, ticket to ride, a lot of fun time uh, while we were holed up with the sub-zero temperatures. Just was uh, thinking about the comments about underwater adventures that have come up in a couple of the random encounter segments. My very first D&D adventure I ever ran was uh, U3, the final enemy. It was an advanced D&D module, and it was um, really a quite good one. I really didn't know what I was doing, of course. It was my first time running it. I think I was even running it with Redbox Basic. Even though it was an advanced module at that time, I didn't even know there was a difference between the types of D&D. And that, a large part of that adventure takes place underwater. And so I thought that was uh, one of the things that really pulled me into D&D was the thought of, oh my goodness, not only am I, you know, running a game where people are, you know, fantasy adventurers, but they're underwater in this underwater lair. And, uh, it was, uh, a really good time. And one of the things that kind of pulled me in, it just, added a new level of fantasy element to it where you had to come up with potions of water breathing and ways to deal with stuff underwater. I'm sure if I ran it today, obviously, it would be a much different experience as far as rule mechanics and things like that, but uh, it was a lot of fun, and I remember my my players enjoying it. So U3, the final enemy, it's the last uh, adventure in the three-part series. starts with the Sinister Secret Assault Marsh, and Danger at Dunwater is the second one, and they are a great series. I love it, and I have run uh, the first two since uh, this one. But anyways, uh, just I'd throw that in. Thanks. Bye. Yeah. No, that's cool. I completely forgot about. I have the Sinister Secret or Salt Marsh. I think I still have the Dunwater. I, I do not own the third one. But, yeah, there were... There are a couple, I mean, if you read AD&D, there's rules for, hey, if you're underwater, this works, this doesn't work, and so on. And there's no way Gary and the lads writing all those rules would have written those rules without the desire to use them. So some there are some modules out there that showcase some really cool, just different, some of those different things. There's modules out there that showcase this stuff. That was one of the cool things. Gojo um, was talking about that that made me, like the uh, Return to the Temple of Elemental Evil that Monty Cook did, because it was very much a D&D 3.0 showcase where pretty much every rule in D&D 3.0 comes into play in that one, if I remember correctly. It's it's a pretty it's a good way to understand, engage with the system, the way it's built and, and written and so on. So pretty cool. Thanks, Kojo. Good stuff, man. Yeah, Kojo. Hope you don't have to make those days up at the end of the year. <laughs> Summer starting a couple days later. And we we say that because we don't we don't get somewhere off. Yeah, we don't. Get <laughs> that's off. just that's just bitterness. You can read Gory's. 
Corey G emails us, hey guys, I just wanted to drop you a note and say hi. Hello. Heard about your podcast from stopping by the booth at Gamehole Con and have been listening since. Finally could tell Alex it's paid off. It's absolutely paid off. Finally. Got one listener from Gamehole Con. After you're done with this, you'll never listen to us again. But hey, we had somebody. Dave, become a regular go-to in the car when I'm traveling or headed into work, so thank you. Oh, very uh, cool. A little late to comment, but your session on collecting information from your players gave me a lot of think, a lot to think about with the campaign I run. I work overseas for the government, and depending on where they send me, either I can find a group locally or I rely on online platforms. The last time I was in Washington, D.C., I got a group of new friends together and taught them 5e, and I've been playing with them since. We successfully transitioned from getting together in person to an online platform about six months ago, and they are still my go-to group for gaming. Uh, it's because I was one of their first introductions to the game, I ended up making a fair number of decisions for them in the early days, just in order to get to play as fast as possible. Your podcast gave me the opportunity to think about the assumptions I made back then, and encourage me to collect info about how they want to play in order to make it more enjoyable for everyone. I threw together a quick set of questions I gathered some and gathered some feedback and already we've been able to adjust. So thanks. I would have just kept plugging away without thinking about it. Just got my housing for Gamehole Con, so we'll definitely be making the 14-hour trip back. Had a great time this year. He's talking past 2018. Uh, my first, both volunteering and playing. So plan to make it one of my standard visits to the U back to the U.S. Hope to see you there. Thanks, guys. Keep up the great work, Corey. <clears throat> That's so, awesome. Yeah, that is awesome. Now, one of the things that I had talked to Brett about a little bit, which is funny because now I'm going to go backwards on on Corey is <laughs> yes. some, sometimes, and it's been our experience working in corporate. That make that allowing too many choices is it not always a great a good thing? It can right? be. I mean, that's it's like the the art or the science behind surveys, right? You you give a certain number of answers. Too much is too much, right? But part of me, Corey, would say that I don't think I don't think it's necessarily wrong if you just dictate and say, "Hey, hey, this is how we're going to do this." Boom. I think some people appreciate that. To some degree, but I took it, you know, I took it the way I did, which I don't think is bad. And I wouldn't probably do it. I wouldn't redo it the way I did it. Oh my God. That's a really ridiculous statement there. <laughs> but there is something to be said about just saying, Hey, you know, I'm going to run this game. We're going to use this to do that. We're going to use this to do this. And then we're going to run it every Tuesday, whatever. And, and every other Sunday. Well, I think an interesting twist to that, Sean, is that if I look at what Corey's done, you know, he made a lot of decisions at the time, you know, but now, hey, those were assumptions I made. Maybe I should rethink some of those. And that's the that's the height of foolishness, right? Is you're like, well, the decision was made. We're going to use Roll20. Um, Roll20 is sucking. It doesn't work for half the people. It's really falling apart. Or, hey, we're trying this. And I'm I'm picking at Roll20 because like, I can't think of another one off the top of my head. But Or, hey, Google killed their Hangouts. <laughs> we can't use that anymore. <laughs> you'd, you'd be stupid not to learn. If you've got a group of people that can't use a platform for whatever reason, hey, how about you change that up a little bit? 
um, especially if they're people you want to play with and you you enjoy play you enjoy playing with. So having all the things that he's that Corey did in the past, letting him think about those assumptions he made then, and then you know encouraging to challenge those assumptions and change it up for the next time to make things better. That's solid. Yeah. Well, and I think with with me looking looking how we're starting, so we're doing session one this Saturday officially kicking things off, hopefully. Um, and looking backwards, because I don't do this every week. Like, I don't start a new group every week or every month and say, okay, this is a new group, and we're going to do this. Oh, and the last time I did this, this didn't work, so I'm going to nix it. Yeah, that's a good point. We don't, unless you are fortunate or unfortunate enough, I don't know what you would be, to start new groups regularly. That doesn't happen that often. No, so you, have, you got one. Some of these things are going to have to ebb and flow. I mean, some of the stuff we're maybe even using may not even be around the next time I run True. an online game. So going back to Roll20, had I known that the voice and video sucked so bad, I wouldn't even – I would have just cut to the chase and said, okay, here's – we're not going to use that. We're going to We're gonna use these other two, vote on one, versus even just making it an option. So it's kind of trial by fire at times. Oh, cool. Good stuff. Corey, thanks for listening, man, and good to see you at Game Hole. Be great to see you there again. Yeah, that'll be cool. All right, so who's up next? We got, oh, Matt Bonhoff. Salutations, Masters of BNS. I have a couple of topic ideas time to a crest for a plug for you. Oh, my gosh. First, I'd be interested in hearing you two talk about how to be an adversarial GM without being a jackass. This goes against common gaming wisdom, where adversarial GM is the binary opposite of the cooperative GM that's a fan of his players. But I think it's more of a continuum. Normally, the GM has ultimate power in a game. An extreme adversarial GM who wants to win can set up impossible scenarios. The classic rock falls, everybody dies. But with some reasonable restrictions, a more moderate adversarial GM can create exciting, intense games. These restrictions can be self-imposed, or some games provide mechanical restrictions for the DM or GM. The D&D's challenge rating for balancing combat are an example of this. Mouse Guard has more rigid rules for regulating GM power. My buddy refers to this as the asshole box. <laughs> a set of rules that allows the GM to be as much of an asshole as he wants and still provide the players with a reasonable chance of success. Second topic idea. Games that are designed with a very specific story. Lady Blackbird is, is a prime example of this, I think. Lasers and Feelings is another good example. They are, in some ways, adventure modules with a game specifically designed to fit them. They're usually uh, easy to run, great for con games, but have limited ability to support long-term play. There can be some flexibility in where the story goes, but they can also be very railroady too. Choo-choo! <coughs> Damn, sorry. Railroad smoke. Um, now for the plug. I just released The Mice Men of Mirwald. A mashup of lasers and feelings and mouse guard. It features both the asshole box and a built-in story. <laughs> Whether or not you feel like using the topics in the show, I'd appreciate having the game mentioned on air, since I know you do that kind of things for loyal listeners. Link in the show notes to his drive-through there for mice, the mice men of Mirwald. Cool. Well, Matt, a while back we talked about adversarial jamming, and I think we kind of hashed over. It a little bit, but it's one of those topics that I think, kind of almost to your um, uh, to your lady, lady, a very specific story thing. I think if you come back at the adversarial GM with the type of lens you're talking about, it may well lend itself to another topic. That's not a bad idea. And the um, the concept of games that are, you know, a, a game with mechanics, everything specifically designed to fit them. 
I even think of Monster Hearts, Sean. You know, it, it's it's a game that's designed specifically for a thing. They're to use Monster Hearts. It's not a toolbox game. It's not like a D&D where you could tell all sorts of D&D types of stories with it. You're going to tell a Monster Heart story. You're not going to tell a you couldn't do another type of thing with it. Well, you know, it's it's not like you could play a D&D mystery story or a D&D romantic story or a D&D high adventure story. No, but you, I think I think it's much different than Lady Blackbird. Lady no. Black I think so. I th- I haven't played Lady Blackbird, but even um is it Lady Blackbird? Lady Blackbird is it has a specific storyline what's happening and you go through it. Well, Monster Hearts is different because I didn't it, say they're exactly the same. I said they're similar insofar as that it has a specific type of story it wants to tell and the rules are specifically for that. Yeah, I disagree. Wow. <laughs> Cuz Lady because Lady Blackbird to me is a you, you there's an objective. Yeah. With Monster Hearts, there isn't until the adventure is brought forward by, I don't know if it's called the Game Master, but by the Game Master, whoever's running the game. Okay. Because it's played by, it's powered by the Apocalypse. So it's no different than Dungeon World. The only difference is it takes place in modern day and everybody plays. Horrible teenagers. Horrible teenagers that are. Monsters. Could be monsters, yeah. Like Vampire or whatever. So. Kev could stand at the table and say, okay, this is what's going to happen. Where Lady Blackbird, I think, is a very, very defined box. It's even more defined, yeah. Yes, but yeah. But you still play within the box. Yeah, you, but then... You don't would, play Monster Hearts and say, I'm going to be a mecha warrior that goes into space to fight Xanthar. You wouldn't do like, that in D&D either. Sure you can. Well, then you can in Monster Hearts too. No, you can't. Why not? Because it's not designed for that. You can't play it unless the rules allow it. You've told me this. These are oh, things I know. See, I think I think we're I think your I think your <laughs> argument for making that happen is you just saying, "Well, yeah, you can," and no, you can't. That's what I think your argument is. Like I, that doesn't make any sense to me. I know I'm picking Cause on you. It's because Dungeon World is fantasy, mm-hmm. right? So I think you have to almost kind of you have to scale it from Monster Hearts to Dungeon World to D and D, right? That's kind of a spectrum. Where Lady Blackbird, I don't think is on the same spectrum. That's just me. But I don't. Again, I haven't played Lady Blackbird. I know it's very defined in that you're supposed mm-hmm. to go along this particular line. It's interesting, though. It, it's definitely. I think it's a topicy type thing. It's one of those pieces that I think to do it justice, you and I'll have to do a little bit more reading and research into it, though. Yes. Otherwise, we'll be totally off the cuff as we are right now, and one or both of us will be wrong. Wow. M- mostly you. <laughs> All right, Matt, you've got us talking, so it's going to show up. Yeah, Matt, thanks. Way to go, jerk. Now, now I've got to <laughs> now I got to come up with tactically arguing with Brett to prove him wrong and understand the error of his ways. Good luck with that. Let's move on to the main that's, topic. That's about right, too. Oh, are we at the main topic already? Yeah, we are. Oh man, let's do that then. <laughs> All right, so we didn't do it last week or the last episode. No, we got uh, we got shanghaied by some awesome comments and some great listeners, and oh, you got to deal with it, man. Yeah, we had some can't. really thin random encounters for a while, and then all of a sudden we had like, well, let's go through all 15 or whatever <laughs> we had. I have your back catalog, and I have something to say in the last 50 <laughs> episodes. Holy crap. 
Anyway, what we wanted to talk about last time, what we're going to talk about now, is uh, tactical combat and movement. That concept of one-inch grid, minis, and so forth. And I'm running Pathfinder again, as I said earlier. And I know Sean and I have talked theater of the mind and so forth. I think this is going to be a little bit kind of a, a take or a tweak on that. So <clears throat> let's see where we can go with this. Sean, when I say tactical combat to you, what do you? how would you define that? What does that mean to you? Um, that there is a bit of a strategy piece to it. There's a lot of mechanics, not a lot. There is mechanics that make a difference. Okay. Um, positioning. So it, it, to me, it's more, um, it, so on a spectrum of role-playing on one end and narrative and then tactics on the other end, mm -hmm. and you were to say what kind of games the further to the tactic side would be the closer to chess. So a, then, pure, a pure miniatures game. Well, a pure miniatures game would be also... Because chess is, chess is a miniatures game. Correct. And then on the other end would be complete narrative, you know, amber. Okay. No right? dice, yeah. Yeah, no dice, and then everything falls in between. So if you're talking tactical, then it's... Maps, minis, positioning. Using so you the rules. you have to have maps and minis to have a tactical game in your mind. Uh, I don't think you have to, but I do think that um, there are games that re I think require it. Okay. Does it? So it says that in the rules where you have to. Or you're doing it wrong. Is that where it says that or something? Um, no, but it should. Nobody should. It should. Yeah. Okay. I think I think if you're playing Pathfinder, man, and you're p trying to play at Theater of the Mind, I don't think I don't think uh, that you can't do it, but I think it's a pain in the ass. So I would say that. Here's where I'm going to argue with Brett during no, this. No, 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 no. I, I think you need it, and that's not bad. It doesn't mean that you are a weak gamer, and I obviously oh, have no, a superior no. gamer brain. But no, no, if, no. I, and that's not what I would ever say. No, about, no, no, no. no. Yeah. And I, I, I'm saying that because one of the reasons we want to use miniatures, we think tactical combat often, and I often think the same with. Um, having miniatures in a one-inch grid is because to represent the location and what isn't within reach and so forth, it can be, it's actually faster to see the fig in a one-inch square and know that he has a 10-foot reach weapon and see that there are no goblins within 10 feet of him. As opposed to saying, Sean, okay, where I am, did you say the goblins were within 10 feet or not? Because I have a 10-foot, I have a, you know, a 10-foot 10, 10 reach weapon. Am I there or not? Hang on, let me check my notes. It's an immediate representation, right? And when you're doing it for speed and simplicity to run a very tactical movement-based game where you're going to utilize all the mechanics behind, you know, flanking moves, um, reach weapons, um, feats, or other ty types of supernatural or superhuman benefits that you get for doing different components or shooting at range and wanting to make sure that because within, <clears throat> again, if you're talking... Even just general movement, if I can tumble and do certain things, I want to know what's in my way, what spaces do I have, because when you get tactical enough, it becomes damn near critical, because holding all that in your head is like trying to play to, to grab the chess piece, it's like trying to play five games of chess with five different people all at the same time. It's really hard to, be able to hold all those details in your noggin as you go. I think I think that you're right in saying that it's quicker to determine because you could just look at it. 
but I also don't think it. I don't think it's quicker. To, I don't think it's quicker play with miniatures on the table. No. If you wait, so you're saying playing a tactical game with miniatures on the table is just as fast as a tactical game with no miniatures on the table. Hold on a second. I don't think I. Um, no. Uh, maybe. Because that's I what I was, what I'm trying to say is, if I'm playing Pathfinder with minis, yes, my combats will be faster than if I try to play it without minis. I disagree. Why? Because I think people freeze at the table and they don't know what to do, and then it's right in front of them, and they so, have to figure out where they're going to move their guy and why. So why do I? Why do you have to have minis for tactical combat? If for you, tactical combat's faster without minis. Um. So I would lose. I would use a lose. I would use a looser approach to tactical. Ah, so you would do more of a um, D&D 5e or a, hey, it's within short range, long range. Take the grid off. Uh, you and I have talked about that in the past yeah. where I used a little brown butcher paper style with minis and you move about so far, you use a looser style of representation as opposed to the one-inch grid. I would I would say yes. That's what I would do for okay. sure. So I think, you're again, you're, I would absolutely say that when you break it down and you go, Hey Sean, where my guy? Um, how far away am I? You're this far away. Okay, I got reach. Can I make that? Blah blah blah. Okay, that that dialogue is faster when you have a miniatures because the dialogue doesn't even have to take place. Your miniature is there. Your the creature is there. Mm-hmm. That's it. Like you either have reach and you have ex, you can extend past the five foot square or not. Period. So that component is fast, quick, and determined. I think the problem comes in to, okay, Brett, if I'm doing theater to the mine and I say, yep, you are approximately, you're 30 feet away. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. From the big bad. Great. Okay. Um, I'm going to do this. So making that decision is easier. You could even say, well, what's around me? I could say, yep, there's a rock here, this there, bush there, tree there. And you could say, okay, I'm going to do this. I think when you put a miniature on the table and you see that, then I think it becomes, um, hmm, I don't know where to move. Huh. I think for you some get other po- people th- that are like, you should move over here and you I should think move for, over there. I think for some some players in some games that is true. The other thing that happens is I say, how far I'm away from you know the big boss monster, and my game master says, hey, you're ten feet. Great, I charge him. Okay, um, you cross through two other goblins and they get free attacks. So you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa! You never said. We well, didn't ask. You just asked how far away you were from the bad guy. You didn't ask me, or you didn't notice, or I forgot to tell you. So. Well, that's that's miscommunication there. Yeah, but that's theater of the mind. <laughs> it is. I would, actually, I would have. That's I, the biggest drawback to theater of the mind is miscommunication and placement of I, where I things agree. are. If you're yes. trying, if you're trying to get down and gritty, dirty in combat, the more detailed, the more reach involved, the more I can do six things over ten feet, and then do theater of the mind gets trickier. I agree. Yes, I, that is absolutely a pitfall. For sure. I think that if you flex the muscle of using tactical combat with a grid, with a one-inch grid, or a hex if you're using hexes, if that's your um, poison, in moving the miniatures, you can get good at it. And if you're playing with a gamer who's a complete fuckhead and insists on telling you how to move your miniature, um, I would strongly suggest you know either smacking that other player or finding some other way to tell them that you do not appreciate such things. 
but that's just that's just a dick move. Yeah, and I and that is true. I mean, I don't want a blanket statement. The fact now people are like, now Sean's doubling back. I'm not doubling back. I still stand where I am. But you're right, Brett. There are people that when they're running miniatures and they're playing a more tactical game, and you've got the grid and the miniatures and the terrain and the big bads and all that other stuff. You can have characters that absolutely knew their shit. They are going to go up to the board. They're going to move their stuff. They're going to roll their dice. And they're going to call damage. And it's going to be very quick and swift. I don't find that as the majority. Well, yeah, what's interesting is that one of the things that we've talked about as far as like being a good player and coming to the table is you know your character and all the different powers and feats and such that your character has. If I am playing a grid-based tactical combat system, the grid, I mean, <clears throat> the me tells me where exactly you are. Reach, range, blah, blah, blah. Oh, all the pieces and parts. Is there a table in the way? Is there this? Is there that? All those things are there. If uh, The other thing a grid does is it helps to define what combat rules take effect. And if somebody does something and I move my ogre through a dangerous zone, right, where I cross a threat, through a, threat, a, threat a threatened square. area, a threatened yeah. square, <laughs> you get an attack of opportunity on me or, or whatever the rule happens to be. Right. And vice versa. If you do, I get to wallop you for that as the as a character. There is no, well, I would have just dodged one foot. To, no, you op- occupy a five-foot square, all of it. That square moves with you, and that's what happens. Range increment, increments are incredibly clear. You count the fucking squares. He's 120 yards away. That's 120 feet. That's just how far he is. Cover becomes very obvious. There's a pillar. There's a rock. There's a tree. All of that stuff is there. Now, going back to our original statement, going mm-hmm. back and saying, well, it's very easy to see at a picture. Yeah. You'd have to count those squares if you're like way off the board and you're going to shoot an arrow and you've got a 120-foot, 240-foot range. When I could just tell you, you have 224, 240 feet oh, yeah. or 240 yep. feet, you can shoot. Well, hold on a second. One, two, three. But then, four, but then five. you shoot, and you're like, "Oh, wait!" You look at the grid, and you know, I can't shoot him because there's there's a, a you know grove of trees in the way. I can't shoot through that. Right. Where the other way, I shoot. No, well, there's a grove of trees. So you'll have minus four or disadvantage. Oh, fuck! I didn't know there's a grove of trees. Yeah, I explained that to you like two hours ago. You weren't paying attention, Brett. So I'm not saying that. I'm, I, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. totally. I'm yeah. making that worse. Than I think it is. we could. We I think we could sit here and go b- b- bounce it back. And oh, forth. totally. But yeah. I'm just saying all those pieces. Th- it's the obviousness, right, of if you're going to play a combat system that has all the fiddly bits to it that a Pathfinder has, having the miniatures becomes incredibly incredibly helpful, having five-foot square. 3-0, one of the main reasons I did not like 3-0 the first time I played it was I'm like, I have to use miniatures to go to your other point. I feel like I have to use minis to really understand this game. No, you don't. No, you don't. No, you don't. It takes a lot more work. 3-0, 3-5, and Pathfinder, using minis, I only played um, 4E briefly. But we used minis for that, too. It became sitting on the table, pushing lead, was a component of the game. And it helped you get the most out of that game because of all the fiddly bits that you built into your character that you could do or couldn't do. And even the Game Master, if I got a really cool monster who's got certain feats and skills, I need to have that to get all the cool fiddly bit powers used. And I think it's interesting because... Again, if if you discount shitty players and bad game masters and you just think about it the way it's the way it's laid out, a tactical game, it helps to enforce those range increments. It says, can you do a thing? Right? If you like you you have powers, you can try different things. Yes, you could try to climb that rock, but you're gonna be at disadvantage. You can do that, but you're a negative five. It's terrible ass terrain. Here's the rules for terrible ass terrain. Yeah, you're gonna need a twenty two or higher. Good luck, pal. And 
it's the advantages and disadvantages that are there cover battle tactics and all those things. If that's a thing you really groove on and your players are, again, you've got good players that know their stuff and understand what they should be doing. The other thing that, that I find in my experience is that when combat starts and the minis are on the table, people start to pay a fucking attention, at least in my experience. The reason is, is because you move, you move, you move. What do you do? I wait next turn. Well, what do you do? Well, didn't I move up? No. Remember, I said it was your turn. You said you sat here. Here's where your fig is. Move your goddamn fig or you don't see anything. There is a, look, this is where you are. There's no backtracking. Your figure is here. Get off your ass and move your fig or ask Bob sitting next to you or Dave or Jen to move your character for you. You know, in a tactical game like that, passivity in battle is just, it's, it's the death, right? Well, I don't know what's going on. How do you not? There's six slots, a goblin, a dragon, and a lich, and an iron golem all on the table. And you, oh, what's that thing? Are you fucking kidding me? You know, it. I have found, especially when I play with kids, that figures are very engaging. As far as they suddenly stop fucking around with making dice towers and being goofy, kids will immediately focus on the action <laughs> because there's figures on the table. Oh, shiny. <clears throat> Shiny. Yeah. And you get to move <laughs> stuff and things happen and you knock things down and the bad guys come off the table. So. Well, now, there is there is a yeah, I could see where there's a physical component that that keeps somebody's attention. Yeah. Where if it's if it's in their brain and their brains, you know, running all over the place, then maybe not so much. Yeah. And it's is it the be all and all? No. And some people are listening to me going, I don't fucking care about any of that, which is totally fine. You know, it's it's not for you. And that's 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 totally fine. The other thing that I have found is that when you use tactical combat and you have stupid mistakes are glaringly obvious. So I have a dumb monster. The dumb monster does a dumb thing. He's mad at the ranger. He charges past the, both the fighters. They right. both get attacks of opportunity on him. Of course. It's a bullet. It doesn't care. It doesn't care. It doesn't care. It's a stupid monster. It does stupid things. So they can feel really smart because they set themselves up so that the creature charges between them. Stab, stab, stab. Ha, ha, ha. Died before it even got to the ranger. On the other hand, when the player says, I move here. Really? Good. I have 15-foot reach. Oh, shit. I didn't know that. Wham. The giant clubs you. Fuck. Mistakes. Look, you move here. You have no choice. You must go through this path. The movement rules are X. You have to do this to get from A to B or whatever, unless you've got something to mitigate this, you're going to get smacked upside the head. So tactical decisions, um, which can, to your earlier point, lead to the gridlock, if you will, speaking of grids, where people lock up, what's the most optimum way to move from point A to point B to dodge out of the 15-foot reach of the storm giant or whatever it is? You know, you, you can get kind of overly noodly, but good and clever battle tactics and bad battle tactics are glaringly obvious when there's uh, when they're on the when they're on the table. I've played Warhammer fantasy battles before. When I fucked up, and you made your move, you wheeled your little covey of ogres around. Like, yeah, I got him. And you turn the dwarves smashing your side. Like, oh yeah, I, I forgot that whole phalanx of dwarves was there. I I can't believe I forgot they're sitting right there. I missed it and crush. It's um. It's kind of like I said. Part of it might be the action figure kid in me from back in my GI Joe Transformer days when I was a kid. You know, it's just really cool. But having the figures, there is a 
like I said, the really good uh, combat tactics and even the bad things become very obvious. And for me as a game master, it also helped me have my dumb monsters act stupid. Because it's a suboptimal thing for them to charge into the uh, to the ranger. It just is. The bullet should never. It's suboptimal. I would attack the dwarven fighter and then the human fighter and then get to the ranger. Why would I go? Oh, the, the ranger's been the one hitting him. You know, and it, they, the others have reach and da, da, da. It just it made sense at the time. So he does a suboptimal thing and he gets killed for it. It's a dumb monster. That's what they do. Yeah, they are. And that's that's the way it should be played anyway. Yeah. It should be run. But they, yeah. I think, um, yeah, there's no argument with that. It's funny how the game started out based off a of chain mail. Mm-hmm. We never used the miniatures until 3.5 or Pathfinder, which is people go back and go, well, that's the origins of the game. Kind of that, that's what it's kind of the deal. I mean, that's why I use miniatures and da 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 da. Yeah, I never had like, miniatures when I was a kid because we couldn't afford oh. them. If we could afford the books, we bought the fifteen or twenty dollar book. We didn't right. buy twenty dollar miniatures, which none of us had paints for. Or you had <laughs> one. Like or you I have one. one miniature for my one guy that I hope that that survived a third level. Yeah. So I have the this, same gnomish illusionist mini that I have, and that's the only one I have. So he's also Falcor the Mighty too, because it's the only mini I've got. That's right. <laughs> Yeah, good times. So, Brett, are you in favor of the more tactical approach? What I so all of this said, what's been interesting to me is when I look at it, and the players I'm gaming with right now really, really like it. Well, some of them play Warhammer. Oh, pretty, they all play, they all play Warhammer. Yeah. all of them play it um, regularly. I do not. Not just because, and I'm not saying that all Warhammer people no. like Pathfinder. But these guys they, also, I mean, they also play. Um, they also we also play Call of Cthulhu, and I played all sorts. Right. Of, I played Amber with these guys. Vampire. That's the same crew. They really, really like it, and because they like it, when we when I switched to Five E, and we did, we've done Five E for for a long time. I started to hear the bemoaning of the fact that they didn't have it wasn't just options. They liked the grid more. They liked the movement. They liked the tactical components of it. And tactical components plus Pathfinder. And then they started just talking about how they like oh yeah, you don't get this anymore. Oh yeah, that that was in this game, but it wasn't here. And they just kind of had this hankering for that rule system. But a lot of it also came down to they really, really like the one inch grid tactical combat. And for me, the it became they they actually go through fights faster now hmm. because their engagement level is up. <laughs> it's it, theater it, of the mind it wasn't theater, there, huh? Theater of mind with Dungeon Crawl Classics was pretty good. We yeah. did we did really well. We had a lot of fun with it. It was a it was a short lived campaign, but a hell of a lot of fun. But they were really. Once combat starts and the minis come out, guys are standing up. I mean, literally, they push the chairs back, they stand up. Figures are being moved, they're plotting, they're planning. They love this stuff. They really, really like it. When it's done, and they're talking to the village people, they're talking to the uh, the Korra that they met in the wilderness, they're talking to this dwarf, they're trying to investigate this, this problem. It's all narrative, narrative, narrative. When combat starts and the dry erase marker comes out on the grid... They start salivating. They love this, right? <laughs> they have just as much fun, like I said, investigating, you know, going through the room and, and searching for stuff. And 
trying to see is the is the is the druid lying to us is the is the blacksmith doing something you know we found these weird half frozen orc things are they some weird kind of orc what is it they're you know cutting the bodies open doing you know amateur autopsies trying to figure things out they love that stuff too when it comes to combat they're twice as engaged with the tactical component of it and i think what this tells me is that do you need to have a one-inch grid to have tactical combat? And I would say no, right, Sean? Right. But if your players like tactical tactical combat and you don't mind it, if you enjoy it, if I'm having fun with it. It doesn't bother me one way or the other. I'll do it. You um, still haven't answered my question. I'm sorry. What was it? <laughs> what are your thoughts, man? Do I'm you like? You. Do yeah. you, Brett? That's yeah, fine. Not, oh, I'm okay. not. I'm. I'm neither one or the other. Okay, because you've been saying like my players love it. My, my players, players, my players like, love it, and I'm having fun because of it. Okay. If they were dicks about it, if they couldn't stand it, if they wouldn't get it, if they wouldn't read the rules, didn't pay attention, if every time we had a tactical combat, I had to walk them through, I'm like, God fucking damn it. Come on, Dave. It's your turn. This is your figure. Yeah, look, the dwarf. Yeah, this is your guy. Remember him? I don't have to do that. That is not a problem. Right. They're they're fully engaged. So you are you are I in am favor having, of it because of their response to it. Yes. I am having a ton of fun with it because of it. So I'm going to go back to a, a rephrase my question and say, what is your preference, Brett? My preference is theater of the mind. Okay. Now, let me back up even a, a portion of that. Mm-hmm. Is your preference theater of the mind as game master, player, or both? Both. For both? Okay. Yeah. See, I wanted to get to that root because I know that's that's your jam. Yeah, it is. It's it, I prefer it. Yeah. But I, more than that, I prefer that my players are having fun. There, that's... I can understand that. Because if I'm the only one at the table having a good time, <laughs> that campaign doesn't seem to last that long. It's just people get cranky. It doesn't work. Well, it does work both ways, though. I mean, you could have four or five guys at the table that love miniatures, and you could absolutely loathe them, and you're yep. going to have a problem. I have a preference. I don't have a hatred, right? Right. I don't uh, loathe it or whatever. I think what I'm going to do next time I run a D&D 5e game for them, after this is done and we do whatever... If I bring 5e back, I am going to start doing for them this type of tactical combat you talked about. And the type I alluded to that I do with my son and my daughter. Yeah, and the roll kids. out the map. I'm gonna, it's going to be no, no grid, grid. Yeah. no grid, draw it out. And the minis will be there, but it'll be much more representational, kind of that blend of theater of the mind plus tactical. Where someone can say, how far is it from here to there? Oh, it's about... Medium range. Oh, it's short range. It's about 30 feet. It's well within your short range for that weapon. Um, yes, if he comes through here, you'll get a chance to hit him. You know, I think that would be a really good, um, a really good kind of blending of the two. And I think once I scratch the itch for my players and they really enjoy this, they have a hell of a good time with it, the campaign wraps up. And whenever I come back to it, I say, hey, I'd like to do this thing. It'll be kind of a blend between it. I think they'll be willing to try it. I think they'll have a good time because they get to use the really cool minis, which they all have shit tons of them because they love them. Get to roll out the minis and still, without the grid, be able to have the tactical look and feel on the mat. Because I think for them, not only because they like it from just a visual representation, blah, 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 but it's it's more engaging for them. Just how they prefer to engage with a fantasy setting. If I'm running Call of Cthulhu, no, be like miniatures. What the fuck you need miniatures for? Running vampire? Why, why do you need that for? It doesn't make any sense. Running bad magic? Oh, come on, minis. This is stupid. 
When it comes to fantasy RPGs, this is their jam. They like it like this. Um, I've run first edition. I ran White Blue Mountain and other things for the guys. And we say, hey, we're going full theater to mine. They're, they're fine with it. They have a good time with it. But I, I think that the cool thing uh, that 5e has taught me is the, and I, I learned a little bit of this from um, from reading Savage Worlds too, is that in-between phase, right, where there's no actual grid. It's more representational. So when you are, when you're running 5e or you're running D&D at all, Sean, what do you prefer for a fantasy type of game? Do you, do you like the minis? Do you like the grid or do you, does it really bug you? I, uh, the minis for a long time, term campaign, the minis bother me because it takes too long to set up. There's a lot of planning that has to go into it, I think, or more planning than just saying, Hey, you're in a combat, everybody roll initiative. Ah, okay. Yeah. So <laughs> if you think about that, I do have a luxury. I literally have thousands of miniatures at my disposal. Oh, so do I, but they're a pain in the ass. I like when I, I get into miniatures, but I not everybody, have- not everybody does. No, they don't. So that, that's a luxury you have and I have. Yes. And that if Alpha actually has all of his and mine are all set up in his basement in organized packs, in organized groups. So I'm like, I need goblins. <laughs> Handful of goblins. I don't have to sort through anything. I know where they are. Yeah, I'd have but to that's pack a luxury. them. That's yeah. a luxury. Yeah. Well, and having, I- to, having to drag them around and saying, oh, I forgot the boule. Fuck. Yep. That blows. Got to throw in some stupid... Here's a little Nerf football. That's the boule. All right, everybody. It's just, that's pretty cool, huh? Go with it. Don't bust my chops. But Anyway, I'm sorry I cut you off there. Yeah, I think it's just, I used to play, I mean, I've got tons of D&D miniatures. I used to play the the actual D&D miniatures game, um, and I used to buy them by the case. And so I've got miniatures coming out of my ears, and I don't use them. Um, and I like to, I mean, I used to use them for Pathfinder, Yeah. but it's just, if I have to do that, I got to go through encounters and go, okay, I need five of these. I need six of these. Okay. I need some humans. I need some other look of things. I mean, I even did it for Star Wars when I play the Star Wars tabletop. Okay. I need some stormtroopers. I mean, that's a little bit easier because you just put a shit ton of stormtroopers in something that's very, you know, maybe some of these races and some of that and just put it in a train, you could be fine. But when you're talking about D and D, and there are tons and tons of creatures, man, and I, I always, and if I've got the miniatures, I don't want to put something out on the table that's not representative. I don't want to have six kobolds when I should have goblins. If you've right. got them, yeah, exactly. That's maybe even not too bad. I mean, that's at least you're getting into the smaller figs. I hear you though. You know, okay, I'm going to put my little D sixes out there, or my little little token white white gem things and put those out there no i used to hate or was my first thought about um minis and that type of tactical combat was i run very off the cuff i know what's going to happen generally speaking i decided though that their last time they had uh they had two slots they had to deal with and they're like holy shit well i happen to know about that ahead of time saying hey this could happen so i packed my two slot minis that i have great they also ran into something like, fuck, I need an extra. I can't remember what the hell it was. It was a uh, an ogre. I didn't bring any of my ogres. But lucky me, Alpha's got a tray. Uh, Alpha's got shelves, literally shelves. He's got shelves in his basement. I just reach over, grab an ogre, throw it on the table. That's a luxury because if you're an ad hoc game master and um, if you want to have the authentic, as authentic of a miniature experience as possible, as you and I are talking about, and you don't pack the ogres. 
you feel like you may feel hamstrung. Like you got one arm tied behind your back. Like I can't pull out the ogres because I forgot them. You know, right? I do know some guys that when they travel with miniatures, they bring X number oh. of small, mediums, and large style, right? Humanoids. Yep. So you can say this one's big enough that this ogre could be a giant, could be a this, could be a that, because it covers the right base size. This goblin could easily be a kobold if I needed it to be. So you can get a little, you can get a little gray area with some of that stuff. But the only, I shouldn't say the only reason, but it's incredibly helpful to me as an improvisational off-the-cuff game master that where I am gaming, there's a fuck ton of miniatures available to me at a moment's notice. Yeah. So otherwise, I would be stressing theater of the mind because I couldn't do it the other way. It would be I'm much st- harder for me. I'm still more intrigued about how you are fitting into that group because I've known these guys for almost 30 years, dude. I know that piece, <laughs> but the thing is, is that those guys, if they are grokking Pathfinder and they're grokking the miniatures pieces, they are going to know, and they should know like all the moves that their, cre- their guys, their characters can do. Yeah. And the cool they- part is I don't believe in game balance. Well, I understand that, so, which means you can throw out higher CR level creatures, and they oh, and I drop feats and weird ass shit. And this thing has an ability that you didn't that isn't written down anywhere, but has chain sweep, and chain sweep means that it can swing its chain in twenty feet in a complete three sixty circle and trip everybody DC fifteen. So the chain sweep and all that is made up off the cuff by you. Yes. So they they if they go okay, that's cool, then great. I know players that are like, that's a bunch of bullshit. It's yeah. not in the rules. Exactly. So that is the that's the marriage component, right? Is they like how I game master. They like my off the cuff. They know that I'm not out to get them. They know that balance doesn't matter to me. And they know that they need to game smart. And that if they do something stupid and stick it out, they might get the fuck beat out of them. But they also well, know it's Pathfinder. It's harder than hell to kill somebody. But <laughs> I think that is a rarity. Like, I don't think anybody... I think a majority of people that are going to run a game and the game master's like, well, you know, I'm more theater of the mind, but hey, I'll go with, you know, their Pathfinder, you know, preference. And then you get into that dynamic where they are all about, I mean, crunchy, 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 you know, like I move here and I get flanking and you're like, yeah, it doesn't work with this guy because of X, Y, and it's not outlined in a book. They, there's people that lose their shit over that. Yeah, some people would. And I think that's that goes to some of our earlier conversations when you have to... I know that's the kind of game master I am. So if you're going to join my group for the first time ever, I'm going to explain this to you. This is what I do. I do shit like this. He cheats. Yeah. <laughs> and if you don't, and if you don't like that, you're not going to have fun because I'm not going to change. Damn. You know, it's just that's how I like to run, and I have a good time with it. And the people that, and the people that enjoy playing with me, have a lot of fun. I, you know, it's not that I'm so old and. Crusty, I'm never going to change my ways, but there's, I, it's a kind of a fundamental form of how I've learned how to game master. And this is just what I like to do. And I think, as we've said, you know, Hey, this is how I, how do you like to play? I like to play everything by the book. CR is exactly everything by the rules. No variation. Okay. You will not have fun playing at Brett's games. Fact. I'll tell you that to your face and I'll say, you probably don't want to play with me, man. Oh, I'll try it. Okay. I'm just telling you, I'm not going to change for you, but if you're willing to try it, Great. Give me a good college try. I'll ask you at the end of the session, did you have fun? If you don't and you want to bail, I'll, I swear to God, no hard feelings. I'll still love you. Go game somewhere else. I don't care. I think that's just because the group I have, I've known for a long time. And again, you know, we've had our ups and downs over the over the last 25, 30 years. 
But at a certain point, they know they know who I am. They know the type of game I'm going to run. I mean, I do similar crap in <laughs> in my uh, Streets of Avalon game. We just started. I started running another one for uh, the Wednesday evening group. So uh, Andy, Chris, Kevin, Tom. It's not perfectly balanced. It's just it's just the way I run it. It's just how it, how it goes. But I do understand what you're saying. That a lot. Of, that's a piece of tactical combat that I didn't mention before. But sometimes people ex- have that expectation, right? Well, if it's going to be tactical yeah. combat, everything is by the book. Well, there's a. I mean, there's a rule. There's a rule. Some will say there's a rule set for a reason. Yeah. So I would say it gets a trip attack in a twenty foot reach, three sixty radius. And here's the deal: I use the rules. I just apply them differently. It's not written down that this is the special trip attack that this chain monster gets. Nope. This my chain monster has a really sexy trip attack, and he uses these trip attack rules to make it happen. You actually use the rules out of oh, the yeah. book. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So you don't if make I, this I, shit up <clears throat> out of your ass. If I'm going to trip you, and it's a CMD versus CMB versus your CMD and Pathfinder, right. yep. I'm going to do that. I assign I assign his he, the creature has a CMD and a CMB. I use it. I just apply it differently. I guess. So for in that instance, if the ogre has a chain whip and I decide he's got 24 reach with it, he can do a 360 spin once every three rounds. Okay, that seems cool. I write that down. 360 spin every three rounds. Everybody in that range must do a blah, blah, blah. I don't, think, I don't think that's too bad. I don't think no. that's that bad. Yeah. Uh, but to your point, though, people will call bullshit on That's not Ogres can't have that ability. That's not even in any splat book, and I've read them all. Somebody might not like that. Right. Well, you made something up on the spot because it sounded really cool. Some people don't like that. Right. And in a tactical combat system, because my group knows who I am and how I run, they're like, look, we're going to have all the fiddly bits we want, all the character options. We get to have this tactical combat thing. You will also play within the spirit of the tactical combat rules and so forth. You're going to make up some crazy ass shit, but I know it's all within the rules parameters. Okay, off we go. They're happy with it. Okay, well. But if you're going to run tactical combat, what system would you use? Um, in a role-playing game? Yeah. Oh, God. Would you, or would you just flat say, I'm not doing it, I don't fucking like that anymore? Well, I mean, I guess if it was a Pathfinder game and I was going to run Pathfinder and I would ha- I would break out miniatures, I would, you know, on Roll20 break out <clears throat> would you tokens. Like it? Would you like it? I wouldn't mind it. I'd have to brush up on all my, my combat rules and what all that looks like so that I know that everything's on the level. And, you know, I just, I think there's a... I think it facilitates a very back and forth component to it, right? Back and forth component. I don't even know how to articulate it as much as um, it's beating the game. Well, it's individual initiative. It's not like side by side initiative, right? Well, so I don't. I would know. say that. I would say that. I don't know. I need you to define what you mean more by back and forth because it's. I think that's the same no matter what. No, I. I'm not articulating myself very well okay my my uh i would have to reread the rules and i would probably yeah i don't have a problem doing it it's not my style it's there are components of it that aren't my jam for a few reasons one it takes you've grown you've grown apart after all i have grown apart yeah i've grown out of it i've grown away from you well it just used to be such a slog there you'd have to prep Quite a bit, which is ironic for a guy who reads modules, right? That presents modules and doesn't do it off the cuff and top of his head. And then there's all the combat components. So 
when I feel when I'm playing against guys like Doc that know the rules like the back of their hand, I think they will have a tactical advantage because they know all the rules. Ah. Right? Oh, you can't do that because that's not what's in the book. And But I, you know, so I, you ha- almost have to have a certain understanding and equal approach to that game, I think. Otherwise, w- one side or the other may have a hand up, which isn't a big deal if you're just kind of like, eh, so what big deal? But to me, it's kind of like, well, isn't that part of the game? Like, is it... You know, so you want to feel equal to the task. So if you have a tactical mastermind at the other end of the, of the other side of the screen, you want to be equal to them. I want that. I want it to be. I want them to leverage the rules and what <clears throat> what is what applies to their character and what they're able to do to the advantages that they, they can mm-hmm. take upon themselves. The same as much as me. In other so, words, if I'm doing, if if there is a rule where I got, I've got creatures or baddies, and they're flanking, they get the same flanks that you do, and I don't want to not do it because I'm stupid and I forgot. Yeah, no, I hear you. The other thing that I encourage with my group and is suboptimal tactical stuff. Lenny will do something incredibly stupid. He's actually a pretty good tactical player, but his character would not do the tactical thing right now. His character is in a rage and is going to attack this person, come hell or high water. Right. He will march right. He'll do that. I'll get a tax opportunity on left, right, and center. He'll be like, don't care. I'm going in. Yeah, well, that's good. That because absolutely that's, suboptimal. Yeah. No one, no tactical genius in his right mind. Why would you fucking do that? You'd be dead before you get there. Lenny's there's, like, don't care. There's not a lot of players that do it that way, though. Unless no, they're I, genuinely I, like that. Like, hey, I'm in I berserker think, mode. You don't get to do that. I think that more players, there are more players like that out there, but they're not encouraged to do so by the game master or by the other players around them quite often in a tactical game. I wouldn't do, my character wouldn't do that. I would do this thing. Oh man, you got to do, look, he's only five feet away. You could totally do that. And then you could do this other move. When that shit starts, I stop it immediately. Stop. It's her turn, his turn. Let him or her figure out what they want to do. What would your character do right now? I stop the conversation. I force that dialogue. And because of that, I am encouraging you to do this. Okay. Well, they're going to get a hit on me. Dude, I got... Have I been able to hit you all night? Oh, yeah, they are goblins. Goblins haven't hit you all night. If I get lucky, I get lucky. Roll the dice. Oh, look, I got lucky once. Oh, you took four points of damage. What, you're what? A 10th level fighter? Dude, come on. Fucking A. Why are we worried about this? By encouraging people to do suboptimal things in a tactical game you get some of the more cool narrative pieces in my mind. And I think that's important. And I think there's more people out there who'll do it. They just have to be encouraged to do it. Okay. You don't believe me. I'm not sure. You're not sure. I'm not sure. I don't know. I don't know if I should believe you. (laughs) (laughs) Interesting though. I don't know. It's, it's interesting. And maybe it's part. The other thing for me too, is I've not played a tactical game in a number of years now. It's been very theater of mind for the last few years, which I've had a great time with. I love it. It's my favorite way to go. And um, part of this could be, you know, after a year of this, I might be like, oh, my God, I'm so sick of this crap. I might be there in a year. I don't know. But it's fun for right now. It's a hell of a good time. I have to say, though, I do. And I, I go to cons and I see, you know, and they're miniatures games that are just phenomenal as far as their, their set pieces. I mm-hmm. mean, God, at Game Old Con, there was a... There was a Saving Private Ryan freaking like exactly built like that. And it was like, God, they must have been running like three inch miniatures. I mean, they were big miniatures. 
and it was to scale and it looked cool. So I get the nice, cool, like, hey, I'm going to run something at a convention, oh, Star I Wars. I want the, the what? not the Dwarven Fort. Does Dwarven, not, somebody else did the sci-fi set. Oh, like, there's a tons of, I watched, um, you talk about some of that stuff, you go even older at GaryCon, you'll get the the old school tabletop sand table games and stuff. I, yeah. watched, I watched Hoffman in there last year playing a game with, the the little tanks and stuff all had rubber bands and you had to like physically shoot and aim the rubber band. Oh my god! To hit another thing, he was having a fucking. It looked like a blast. It looked like it was so much fun. But anyway, so I get the I think the coolness behind them and you know you put out, you know the battle of Endor or something and you've got Star Wars and stormtroopers and adats and you're like hey this is everybody's gonna try to get in that bunker. I mean that and you come across it. It looks cool and it's super neat and. Everybody likes the little miniatures. I mean, I don't get me wrong. I like them in that regard. But but for a convention game, you'd be more into it because it's like, hey, I'm doing it for now. Well, I've mentioned about doing Tuma Horrors. Like, yep. I want to get all that. And I mean, oh, yeah. Alex, Alex has mentioned. I mean, I forgot he's got Dwarven Forge. He's not using. I don't know if he has enough for me to do Tuma Horrors. But it would not take much for Tuma Horrors if he would let we if he would let us do that. We could run that at Game Hulk on next year. Yeah, if he, if he let us comb through his collection, see what we could borrow. Yeah, and I mean that would you here you go. We're gonna run it. Here's you know, pick your characters, here's each miniature that goes with it, and then it's like you know, as do the, do, do 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 murder. Damn it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you come across you come up to this intersection and this is what it looks like. What are you gonna do? Do no. do yeah. So I do I think they're cool. I just think they're a major pain in the ass and I'm not overly I'm kind of burnt out on the tactical piece and combats lasted way too long for me and that was kinda it. No, I get it. I totally yeah. get it, man. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah. I think, um, like I said, we've talked about this a little bit before, and with my rebringing Pathfinder, and I thought it'd be kind of interesting to talk about it a little, little bit again because I think it's been like a hundred episodes or something because we chatted about it last time. So, anyway, there you go. Thoughts, comments, always let us know. Yeah, by all means, let us know. All right. Die roll. I have a couple this week. Yeah, what you got? Um, Geek and Sundry, always putting out good content. Um, they did an article on how to find a game. So it's some pretty good ones. Some, I think, have been covered here and there, but some you may want to take a look at. And, again, we can help you point you in the right direction for a resource to find games, and you land one great. Awesome. Um, number two, Mo at Tabletop Bellhop. They, he had a great blog entry on great games for players getting into the board game hobby. Some of the things that are like, not only like here's a good board game that would help people get into the board game hobby, but what games, what board games make or facilitate that and why. Oh, nice. Okay. So I thought that was pretty interesting. So shout out to Mo Toussaint up in Canada. Um, listeners, so we have, I'll put a link of Kojo's U3, The Final Enemy, on drive-thru, as well as Matt Bonhoff's Mice Men of Marwald, or Meyerwald, um, which is free, by the way. And we'll put a link to those two resources in drive-thru. And then uh, a couple more. Yeah, Eli Kurtz pointed out uh, how uh, itch.io is skiing ideas on how to make the site accommodate print tabletop RPGs. So I'm not wholly familiar with Itch. I haven't used it, and I don't... I've I mean, never I, heard of it before. I saw this link today. Yeah. I'm like, what is this? Yeah. Um, 
So it's like, I think it's like similar to steam. I could be incorrect. Again, I'm speaking out of ignorance, but the, one of the founders there, I think is wanting feedback on how do they offer tabletop RPGs for people to buy off of their site? Like how do they categorize them? Blah, blah, blah. So if you want to weigh in on itch.io and I have, I'll have a link directly to the solicitation from one of the founders there. Uh, thanks Eli for bringing that to our attention. Very cool. And then the last one I actually found. So I'll, I mean, it was commented on our Google plus, but I thought it was interesting. Eric Salzweedle points out Brent Alt's cyber sprawl classics. So Brent found his old notes of how he was converting dungeon crawl classics to a cyberpunk game. Really? And so he said he's his, his Post on Google Plus is like, I spent the last two days with my eyes bleeding, redoing and editing all this, and now I've come to it. But he has like an epi- like an issue number one and issue number two. So if you're interested in cyberpunk and you are familiar with Dungeon Crawl Classics, then you will want to check out Brent's stuff, and we'll have links in the show notes there to his Tumblr as well as to his um, website. Very cool. Yeah. So next week, what are we talking about, Brad? Next week, I want to talk about those things you cannot know, the unexplained or unexplainable in our games. Um, mysteries, Call of Cthulhu, some of the horror things, those pieces that just can't be explained, those things man was not meant to know type of things, and perhaps a little bit more. So that's what we're going to chat about next time. Things you cannot know. Yes. Like what what it's all about, man. What anyway. it's all about. Like what it's all about. All right. Well, thanks for tuning in. This is Sean. And I'm Brett. Good night and good game and all. This episode of Gaming and BS brought to you with the help from the following BSers. Hawk Sparrow, Andy Hall, Corey Wynn, Graham Miner, Larry Hout, Mark Tasaka, Pure Mongrel, C.W. Mellencamp, Chris Steele, Ron Bishop, Thomas Hook, Wayne Humphleet, Craig, Brandon Barnes, Laramie Wall, Dan LaValley, Jason Hobbs, Guy, Roger Brasslett, John Hammersley, Old School DM, Perry Besor, Michael Dinos, Jim Fitzpatrick, Christopher Gray, Bruce Cunnington, John Coward, Corey Gonzalez, Eileen Barnes, Robert Nemeth, Maurice, Niall Diamond, Angus, Howard Bishop, Stephen Dragonspawn, Mark Anthony Benedetti, Eric Salzweedle, Chad Glayman, Finolf, Mirko Froilich, Lord Tentacle, Joe Swick, Curtis Takahashi, Josh Wallace, Kevin Lovecraft, Andy Olson, and Tony Sugarloaf Baker. For ways to support the show, head over to GamingNBS.com forward slash support dash us. Thanks, BSers! This This has has been been a Litterbox Litterbox Studio production. production.